Hello and welcome to Warwick's Classics in Discussion podcast. Love, longing, lament, loneliness. These feelings found a lyrical outlet in Roman elegy. In this poetic form, the dropouts and outcasts of society gave voice to the excruciating torment of not having or of no longer having the person they love and desire. In the twilight of the declining old republic, Catullus sang of his inner turmoil. At the dawn of the new Roman Empire, Tibullus and Ovid wept at their lover's door. Then later, as the gods sacked the city of Rome and its empire sank into insignificance, elegiac poetry reappeared again. This genre also contains some rather unexpected treasures. We find advice on where to meet girls, how to seduce them, and how to enjoin, together with them, Aphrodite's ultimate ecstasy. Or we come across a Greek slave girl singing a ditty on a male member that can no longer manage to fulfill its function. But why did the Romans turn to elegy? How did elegiac poets succeed in fascinating generations of readers? And why are the fate and fortune of the Roman polity so intimately linked to this genre? With me to discuss the Roman elegy is Ian Fielding of Warwick's Classics Department. Hello, Ian, and uh, welcome to this uh, podcast. Um, from my school days, I still remember these two lines from Catullus. Uh, Odit amo, quarit faciam potasse requiris, nescio set fieri, sentiot ex crucior. I hate and I love. You might wonder why I'm doing this. I do not know, but I feel that it's happening to me and I am torn apart by it. So these uh, are two lines from Catullus, from this elegy, um, 85, which is really famous. And I think, in a nutshell, this can give us an insight into what elegies are. Yes, also. I would agree. I mean, obviously, the, the, at the most basic level, um, we have to remember that an elegy is a, is a poem written in elegiac couplets, these self-contained units of two lines, one longer line followed by a shorter line. And that is the kind of thing that Catullus seems to be playing on in these two lines with the, the kind of the, the statement, the question and the answer. And he says, you know, I hate and I love. So you have this idea of tension between opposites. Because so elegies always uh, talk about love and hate, is that right? Well, it's talking, I mean, it's very commonly referred to as, as love elegy. It's not completely synonymous with love. It, it's more like a poetry of, of unfulfilled desire, of desiring what you can't have, or even what you don't, part of you doesn't even want. I mean, Catullus is, is obsessed with his perceptions that he's constantly being um, badly treated by his girlfriend, but nonetheless, he can't kind of help himself. And, and that's, so that's why he finishes by saying, excrucior, literally, I am torn apart, but literally, uh, I am pulled in different directions. directions. So you have this tension of wanting, not wanting, of loving and hating. So obviously Catullus is the first major uh, elegiac poet, so to speak, whom we have. But uh, elegies started earlier, did they not, uh, in, uh, in, in Rome? Or? That's right. I mean, um, obviously it was inherited from uh, the Greek poets. And yes, I mean, when it's earliest, um, when it, when it uh, appears earliest in Latin literature, 
is usually uh, as use for um, poems or inscriptions um, on tombstones or to commemorate the dead. Um, in the same way as we were just saying about Catullus, that it's about uh, elegy is, is about desiring what you can't have. In the oh. same way, we, we see elegy used most basically, uh, most fundamentally, as a poetry of lament of lamentation. So um, basically, you 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 lament the fact that you can't have somebody, or you can no longer have this other person because uh, he is no longer with you. That's, so that's kind that's of the link. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's how we see this poetry of unfulfilled. Uh, erotic desire grow out of what is originally a poetry of, of lamentation. So basically this, uh, this started in a big way with Catullus. Uh, Catullus lived uh, roughly from 84 till uh, 54 BC, so during the last days of the Old Republic uh, in the twilight of this age. Uh, um, why does, does this uh, become such a big deal at that time? Yes, I mean it's an interesting question certainly if we look at the development of elegy this uh, this kind of genre of love elegy that, that people commonly talk about it takes place in a relatively short space of time 30 40 50 years through as you say from Catullus to the end of the first century BC and it's a time of very radical changes historical changes in Roman society as you say the last days of the Republic so the end of this system which is based around everybody kind of doing their share and taking responsibility for, for running the state, power becomes gradually more centralised around uh, uh, the figure of the emperor and the individuals around him. So people like Catullus and, you know, other uh, members of his class find themselves with a lot more time on their hands as, as they're kind of squeezed out of, of the political scene. So basically they voice their dissent or maybe... The, uh, the discontent, is that, is that right? That's uh, a, certainly a common feature of the elegiac poets after Catullus, are the ones that survived Propertius, Tibullus and Ovid. They commonly set themselves against the traditional values of uh, military glory, public service. They say, this is not for me, you know, I win my glory um, in, in love. love. Yes, and uh, you mentioned Tibullus here. Tobolus obviously is famous for this uh, paraclausitheron. So basically he wept his eyes out in front of the door of the beloved. Uh, so how does he take the genre to the next level? As you said, uh, where Tobolus sits outside the door, um, talking, you know, complaining to the door uh, in, in his poem, in uh, one, two, yeah. whereas Ovid in his Amores precisely is in the same situation, but he's talking to the doorman, the janitor, sort of saying, oh, haven't you, don't you have a girlfriend, don't you know how I feel, um, and and uh, that kind of thing. So yes. he just likes to take these earlier ideas and, and just and give a new slant a on them. Yes. yes, but Ovid did more, obviously. He also wrote a manual on how to get past the doorman, so to speak, uh, this manual, the so-called Art of Love, uh, Ars Amatoria, and that's also written in this uh, elegiac meter. So what's in there? How does that work? Well, yes, I mean, as you say, again, and these are also ideas which Ovid um, picks up from Tobolus, who's the first one to talk about how he's taught his, his mistress these tricks for evading her husband, 
and so on. And I think Ovid sort of reads this and thinks, oh, that's a great idea. And so eventually he expands it to such a point where he just writes a huge manual precisely revealing the tricks of the trade, you yes. know, the, the lover's, the lover's uh, art. And yeah, so he takes this uh, to the next level, and obviously the art of love that's, uh, you know, like in three books, the first uh, two books are addressed to men, and the third uh, book is addressed uh, to women, but he not only talks about, you know, how to get past the doorman, he gives all sorts of other tips. Can you just give us one or two examples uh, of that sort of thing. Well, certainly. I mean, this kind of um, the first book in particular is all about um, where, to, basically, where to pick up girls. You know, where are the good places to the go? The theater. Precisely, the theater, public spaces, yeah. the 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 races. Funerals. Exactly. So, <laughs> all kinds of places, and then that's followed. You know, with with kind of how to how to talk to women, how to compliment them, and how to kind of. Uh, dress yourself and um, how, how you don't want to look too kind of uh, well-groomed and well-manicured. You don't want to be <laughs> effeminate. You want to... Uh, the kind of image that you want to offer. Yes, and then, kind of a three-day stubble goes down well with yes, the punters, that And sort then, of, of, thing. of course, in the second book, he talks about how to keep hold of these women, including kind of the notorious <laughs> passage where he gives advice on sexual positions and, you know, yes. and how to achieve... Uh, simultaneous um, orgasm. orgasm, yes. The climax of the book is the joint climax, so to speak. That's in book two and in book three. For women, there's also like a wonderful passage how to get there to the <laughs> joint climax together. But so that's of it. He takes the whole thing to the next level and obviously he's extremely famous. And we have now this development in these 50 or 70 years, that sort of thing. We have all these... Uh, Allergies, they develop in this way, and then kind of the allergy dies. Is that right? Or very little is left. What happens uh, next? Well, there's, a, I mean, the question of what happens to allergy, in a way, is a, is a very similar question to what happens to Ovid. Um, Ovid ends up with his poetry, um, at least in part, offending the powers that be and is sent into exile. Um, in the very furthest reaches of the Roman Empire on the Black Sea, and continues to write elegy and, and kind of send it back to Rome. And there he talks a lot about the mistakes that he made with, with his, uh, particularly with, with his uh, Ars Amatoria, his, his art of love, where um, he seems to have been Uh, got in trouble for encouraging loose morals precisely at a time so when... So he has to go to the Black Sea, he's exiled because he's written this book uh, with his uh, manual, so Tricks of the Trade. And yes. So um, how how does that relate then to the genre? What How is Ovid the same as the, the Elegy? Because the Elegy is also exiled, is that right? I suppose. I mean, there's a certain school of thought that, you know, perhaps Elegy, it just becomes too dangerous to to write elegy after what happened to Ovid. <laughs> you know, that um, the kind of the, uh, the emperor has become so powerful, there's no longer, it's no longer safe to kind of uh, be this voice of dissent. And, and play, play with uh, loose morals. Uh, exactly. Yes. So basically, people no longer, or very few people write elegies in the second, third, fourth century AD. And one of the explanations is... Uh, Well, they looked at Ovid and what happened to him and they said, uh, let's be hands off, you know, we don't want to end up like that. But there was a little bit of allergy writing nonetheless, was there not? Uh, Certainly, and th I mean, there's still a tendency, even in 
the first century BC only to focus on our major authors, Catullus, Propertius, Tibullus, Ovid, but there were even other elegists at the same time as them, even a possibly a very interesting case of a female elegist, Sulpicia. But after Ovid, yes, elegy continues to be written at, at all times where there's significant literary activity in Latin. It, it's just less focused on this theme of love and even perhaps on, this, on the ideas of lament. It, it just gets used for all different kinds of purposes Occasionally they will go back and, and borrow some more familiar ideas or uh, images from, from the more famous poetry, but... Um, That's about it. Sort yeah. of, yes, 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 in a sense. But then, um, as I understand it, uh, as the Roman Empire falls, just as the Republic had declined, uh, elegy comes back with a vengeance. Can you tell us how that happened? Yes, I mean... We, we discussed how the, the rise and emergence of, of Roman love elegy in the first century BC was all about these very profound historical changes. And so I don't think it's a coincidence necessarily that the next time we see poets using this medium to talk about their troubles at length is after um, we have invaders coming in from other parts of Europe um, sacking Italy, destroying Rome, and interestingly enough, the first major poem to to be written in Latin after um, the the Goths uh, sacked Rome in AD four ten is again an elegiac poem by. So, who is that? Can you tell us a bit about who that is Certainly. and what he wrote? Or? It's a it's a poet called uh, Rutilius Nematianus, who seems to have been at one time the, the prefect of the city of Rome. But um, So that means that he was a high-ranking official? Precisely. Um, but, um, he writes a poem called De Reditu, on, on re which is called De Reditu, on return, uh, on his return, because he describes his journey back from Rome to his ancestral home in Gaul, where his family lands are. and um, So on this journey back, basically... He comes across all these ruins and all these things. And Precisely. He's kind of... He travels through the landscape, yes, observes um, where the destruction has, has kind of taken place. And it's all, and he kind of tries to review the, the history of the places that he's, that he's um, passing through, almost as though he, he wants to... He can't believe whether that history really happened or not. Again, it's this sense of the elegist is somebody who isn't quite sure where they belong, doesn't feel at outside home. The, he should really be a Roman yes. inside the Roman history, but he looks around and he no longer... No, everything, belongs, so. everything that he thought was true has turned out to be wrong, right. you know, that Rome would last forever and that, you know, its glory couldn't, couldn't be taken away. I mean, suddenly now he, he's not so sure if that's the case anymore yeah. and he's not so sure about the world that, that he finds himself living in. And then another thing, obviously, which happened... Uh, in, uh, in like the 3rd, 4th, 5th century, is the, the rise of Christianity. After Constantine, Christianity becomes the official religion. After 391, uh, all pagan worship is banned. Christianity is then you know, like kind of the, the sole religion in the empire. And that too has an influence on, uh, on elegies being written in Latin. There are some Christians who write love elegies, is that right? Well, not love elegies... It's so to speak. I mean, obviously, now we talked about the the first century 
the elegists of the first century BC being outside the traditional morality and now with Christianity, um, which places such an emphasis on on uh, resisting sexual desire, on sexual desire being kind of a punishment for man's original sin. Um, now those kind of values are even more, um, you know, even more dangerous. And so typically you do have Christian authors using um, the elegiac meter to write poetry, but they try to put it to a different use, try to kind of get rid of all those associations with, with Ovid and and the earlier poets and just use it to say, look, don't do this. If you, if you want to be okay in this life or the next, then it's very important that you resist... Um, temptation. Resist temptation, exactly. No sex. No. <laughs> no sex. But then there's this wonderful example, this wonderful author of the 6th century who tried to resist temptation again and again and again and failed and writes in his old age an elegy about it. Tell us about this man. Yes, so the poet um, Maximianus, or Maximian, we can call him. Um, certainly, I think it's fascinating with Maximian, the fact that he that he's the first one to go back to elegy and look at um, erotic desire after all this time, 500 years since Ovid has died, but where Ovid and the other um, elegiac poets of, of um, the old Rome, the Rome of Augustus, um, said that love was a young man's game. Yes, <laughs> Maximian is very is talking about how old he is and how he's close to dying and his body has finally kind of given out on him. And this is provides the occasion to look back over all the love affairs that he had right from when he was a young boy all and the way up to uh, to his old age. So basically he remembers all the good times he had as a boy when he was young, when he still had some lead in his pencil, so to speak. <laughs> sort of, but uh, he, he certainly looks back on his youth, but his erotic um, kind of adventures never end particularly well, So there's even the first, from the beginning. The first cut is the deepest. What happens with this first love affair? Yes, I mean, he talks about how he's... Uh, in his third elegy, he has uh, a collection of just six, but in the third, he talks about how he, he fell in love when he was uh, young with a, with a girl who was uh, a classmate of his, but um, her parents were not happy and sort of tried to keep her, keep her out of his way. And then enter the pimping pedagogue, <laughs> That's right? right. <laughs> yes, I mean, his, his uh, teacher uh, asks him why he's so sort of lovesick and uh, when he tells him the teacher offers to bribe the parents <laughs> to kind of procure the girl for Maximian. And, and then uh, works out very well. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> the girl is ju just seems to be sort of creeped out by the whole situation <laughs> and leaves and nothing happens. And Maximian says, well, from now on, I'm going to remain a virgin. Love is, you know, I only end up losing in love. It's chastity for me all the way from here. But unfortunately, but... <laughs> again and again, um, he keeps making the same mistakes. And then we have uh, the shady lady from Greece, uh, the Greek dancer, which is kind of the end of this story. That's right, the climactic uh, kind of episode, yes, he, he goes on, he has to go on a political mission to the east and is seduced while he's there by a Greek dancing girl. Now, obviously he knows from, from his past travails that it's very important that he kind of resists, but it, he can't hold out for very long. But when, you know, when it kind of comes to the crunch, he, he just finds that his body's not up to it. And well, or certain parts of his body. Certain parts, <laughs> yes. And um, so he, 
he just has to say, look, I'm sorry, I can't do this. And the Greek girl is incredibly upset and angry and it's kind of issues this very long, bizarre um, lamentation and, and him even to uh, to his penis, which, which no longer works. And she talks generally about how the penis is what kind of brings life into being. It's what everybody has to submit to. And um, Maximian really has no answer to this. It's almost like he, the the tables are sort of turned Turn, on yeah. him at the end, and he realizes he wants sex, so he and he can't have it any longer. Exactly. Although before he um, uh, wanted to resist sex, uh, but had to have it. And, yes. You know. And so he again he he realizes that you know even though he he tried to um, stay clean, um, <laughs> it uh, it just didn't uh, it didn't work out for him in the end and. That it's really a fascinating kind of poem, completely not what what we would expect, something so lascivious yeah. um, from from this period. It just really shows the richness of uh, of, of, the la- of later, you know, later Latin literature. Yeah. So basically, the Roman elegy starts with funerary lament, and we could say here in the sixth century we have a funerary lament on the penis, <laughs> and so we have this wonderful ring composition. And uh, I'd like to end on this note and thank you, Ian, for thank you very talking much. to me. It's a pleasure.